Go. Hello, Jews and Jew lovers. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Stephanie Button. Happy July. Happy July. And uh, Liel Leibowitz. Shavuotov. Shavuotov. Our Jewish guest this week is Christopher Noxon, who is author of the novel Plus One. And uh, we should add a husband, first man of the TV show Orange is the New Black. His wife is Jenji Cohan, who makes that show. And he's also author of a forthcoming graphic novel about his conversion to Judaism. And our Gentile of the Week is legendary rock critic Jim DeRogatis, who Liel and I discovered after we'd become friends, we share an obsession with. A so, complete admiration. Yeah, complete admiration. He's, he's our spirit animal. And who he, I have never heard of. We love that man. Right. <laughs> so you will actually be the... the we'll, key. we'll be, yeah, I think I that's have a, a lot of, of questions. Because I think Jim DeRogatis is like, it's a guy thing, no? Oh, we'll ask him. Yeah. Let's ask him that. Yeah. All right. Um... And But listen, my friends, before we go any further, I know we hit you with this last week. We're hitting you with it again, which is we're coming up on our first birthday. We need a little cash to keep going into the year 5777. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads without ever asking you for a cent. We are basically the uh, college grad son or daughter living in your basement right now. You want to get us off the sofa. So give us some money. Yeah. We have an internship. We have a real job. (laughs) We have an unpaid internship, but we think we're going to hit it big soon. <laughs> we promise not to spend it on weed. That's that that that's all behind we're us. We're working on a memoir about our 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 life so far. This guy I know is getting us an interview in the city next week. <laughs> so, but I'm going to need a ride to the train station. <laughs> but we're going to need a ride to the train station. So, listen, um, I am going to. This is going to be super brief. Go to tabletmag.com/slash/donate and please give us some money. And I. I want to say two things. First of all, any amount is welcome. We really do. We read every email. We look at the name and of every donor. We put you in our prayers. We really do. Like we know that actually the $18 for somebody out there or even the $1.80 is the last $1.80 you have. And we're really grateful to that person. But we also know that at least one of you out there has been saying, where am I going to offload that $50,000 to before I die? How am I going to keep it from my ex-wife who's after all my money? Uh, what am I going to do to what Mark's, trim what down Mark that tax What Mark is saying bill? is that oh, unorthodox is a great tax shelter. That's right. That's <laughs> if right. you are, you know, a Russian mobster and you need to launder large sums of money, we are fantastic for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, This is this is a great place. In we fact, this is why we started this podcast. We are Panama. It's actually an offshore enterprise. Yeah, so we are we're fine. We are the Caymans. We are Panama. Go to tabletmag.com/slash/donate. Don't be like Donald Trump. Actually, give money. To actually, <laughs> don't just say you did. Actually, do it. Tabletmag.com/slash/donate. Please, please, please. Help us keep keep going in the next year. After we made this plea last week, we got a very generous donation from somebody who didn't even want to be mentioned. What he said was, say a little bit more about your trip to American Hebrew Academy a few months ago. And I actually am happy to. You know that we did a live show down there. This is the uh, college prep boarding school, uh, Jewish-themed, Jewish cultural life. They don't ask, how Jewish are you? They don't ask for a certificate of bloodletting or circumcision or conversion, but it's it's for Jews and those who want Jewish educations. It's in Greensboro, North Carolina. They have a hundred beautiful acres. And we all spent a day down there. And all I and want a hundred beautiful students. Beautiful actually, Jewish. Actually, 137 brilliant, brilliant beautiful Jewish students. And I one thing I never spoke about was that when I was down there, I actually sat in on some classes and I met with the students. And it is clear that not only is this a place that's that's Jewishly vibrant and Jewishly rich, but it is a really intellectual place. Like these kids are doing serious college prep work. And it's the kind of place that I think any education-minded Jew would be excited to send um, his or her son or daughter. So you should just go find out more. It's at AmericanHebrewAcademy.org. 
That place was like the promised land. Kind of was. They were amazing weather, beautiful campus. I mean, it was kind of it was kind of what they wanted Israel to be. It was like lots of beautiful. They should have just put it in Greensboro. <laughs> Israel should have just been in North Carolina. It was like it solved a lot of attractive, muscular Jews, you know, proud of their Judaism, but without death and war. Right? It was. It was kind of. Where's, know, where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in that? AmericanHebrewAcademy.org. Oh, before the Speaking news. Speaking of, of death and war, Mark, right? Before the news of the Jews, you guys wanted. Or, How was your fourth of July? You wanted to mock me you for my America hating pinko. Liel, what are you you talking about, Liel? Why don't you tell our listeners what you're talking about? I am talking, of course, uh, as as all seven readers of the Los Angeles Times. Oh, no. About Mark Oppenheimer's... uh, Keep it classy, Leibowitz. Oppenheimer's. Oppenheimer Ed. It's just Op-Ed with two Ps. (laughs) It's easily done. It's Op-Ed. Oh, yeah, but that was a pun. You yeah. did a pun, but it was in writing. And I've been working. Nicely done. But and I've been working on that one on, on for that. 30 years. It works like on your Facebook page. It doesn't work on the air. So Mark wrote uh, an op-ed uh, in which he basically uh, called the American flag. Do, do you want to take this argument? A worthless rag is what this communist called the Stars and Stripes. I didn't call it a worthless rag. I said that called ultimately. It a meaningless schmata on a stick. I quoted the great Israeli, garbage, the great Israeli scholar, uh, Yeshehu Leibowitz. Any relation? No. No. We're the bank robbing Leibowitzes, not the philosophizing <laughs> not, Leibowitzes. Not the scholarly We're the Leibowitzes. money Leibowitzes. They're, they're yeah. the, the flag-loving Leibowitzes. Right. I mean, he's, he once said, look, ultimately, at the end of the day, a flag is a rag on a pole or, as they sometimes say, a schmata Which on a I'm stick. sure is exactly what the soldiers in Iwo Jima were thinking. It's I like, actually hey, look at us with that schmata on so, a stick. The argument I made in my piece was that um, I like taking out the flag once a year. I like Fourth of July. I like honoring the country. I I didn't say this, but of course, anyone who knows me knows that I'm an, a huge American chauvinist. I would never live, unlike you, Leibowitz, I would never leave my homeland. I would never live anywhere else. I am. I wouldn't even live off of I-91. I mean, I'm obsessed with and attached to... <laughs> When you become a citizen, I'm going to buy you a lapel pin. I think I that? would like that very much. In other news. But I'm only allowed to wear it on the 4th of July. <laughs> in other news. Otherwise, it would disturb you. And it'll be a really big one, like Mitt Romney's. It'll and be like those we'll, polo shirts. Right. We'll know you're more patriotic than me and Stephanie because it'll be so much more prominent on your clavicle. Well, I have an American flag on my door. I don't care. It has to be on your lapel. 24-7. It has to be on your lapel. News of the Jews this week. Donald Trump. Speaking of symbolism, right? Another, Huge. Another. Another another great symbolism totem six shooting maverick. Donald Trump uh, put up a tweet, uh, or he retweeted, right? He, he retweeted, retweeted a uh, little icon of Hillary Clinton on a background of um, Jewish star themed. Wait, so there was a field of money of dollar bills, and then there was a six pointed star. And it was basically the Said idea Hillary, was- Said Hillary, most, pre- most crooked politician ever. And then when it was pointed out that showing politicians against backgrounds of money and Jewish stars may be seen by some as anti-Semitic, he was like, what? And that, and then in fact, the original tweet was created by a white supremacist. So first he took the, he deleted the tweet and then reposted it with the, with the same graphic, but in a circle, like the- Instead of a, a Which, Jewish by the way, star. I think for Donald Trump to delete a yeah. tweet, it's that's like for, for a human being to like go to a monastery so, for six years. So then what happened next is so bizarre because so he reposted it with a different a different version of the star. And then he like doubled down on the fact that 
It was. It could have been a sheriff star. It could have just been a regular like, star. By the way, it's the funniest thing. I mean, yeah, it probably was a sheriff star, which is why you know uh, Germany between the years of thirty nine and forty five was such a safe place to be because all these Jews were deputized. Right, <laughs> well, you know what they say. The First, they came for the sheriffs. Yeah. That's right. I put the sheriff in Auschwitz, but I didn't put the deputy in <laughs> Auschwitz. Oh, well, you know where Trump is. So it's all converging on Scotland because, of course, Trump was there to praise the Scots for their Brexit vote, which he got wrong. By the way, that would be the greatest song ever. I shot the sheriff in the mass grave in Bobby R. Uh, <laughs> And Eric Clapton, if you're listening. But he won't even acknowledge that like it could be seen. He was like, the the dirty media is right. blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's actually not the media's fault that you put this thing from a neo-Nazi, like from an alt-right site, like that maybe you didn't know that's where it came from. Like you sort of just say, if you're a real politician, you say, so sorry, did not realize where this came from. Like, I see, I see how this could be interpreted this way. Sorry. But that's like, those are not words that will ever come out of. Donald Trump's Twitter mouth. Sorry will not come out of Donald Trump's Twitter Sorry mouth. Sorry does seem to be the, the hardest, hardest word. The hardest word. Quite literally. Is that Elton John? But like he's he's that lashing out John. against other people for interpreting it a certain way, which is like not exactly presidential. Shocking. I know. Shocking. Um, so in Scotland, where Trump went to get the Brexit vote wrong and to play some rounds of golf, um, there was a beauty pageant. This past week, the National Action, a British white supremacist group, announced on Twitter that it had crowned a Miss Hitler 2016. Um, however, it didn't show her face and it doesn't give her name. Way, I'm sorry. What a great seamless transition. <laughs> and if Trump Speaking really Trump, ran the beauty pageant he wants to run, it would be yeah. called Miss Hitler 2016. Miss Hitler 2016. He's looking into buying the rights, franchising and licensing his name. <laughs> a Scottish woman who said she turned to neo-Nazism after, quote, the Jewish propaganda became too obvious to ignore was named Miss Hitler 2016. I mean, By the way, we don't... Don't, don't we all feel that way? <laughs> Why cut, is it called that. Miss Hitler? It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, is it a woman who looks like Hitler? No, it's, it's just a, a, a beauty pageant. It's for, it's for... I thought we hadn't seen her. It's well, a, you can only see the top of her face because she doesn't want her name or face revealed um, for good reason. How about this? According to the group, the contest was designed to raise awareness of its female supporters who rarely get much spotlight or recognition. Yeah, the neo-Nazis really... It's 2016, people. Enough with the patriarchy, right? Enough with the male-dominated Nazism. They send them them a t-shirt to wear in a picture, and that's what they submit. Did you know that women Nazis get to kill 75% fewer Jews than male Nazis? (laughs) What's up with that glass ceiling for the gas chamber? The swastikas on their armbands are 75% smaller. The broken glass ceiling? Yeah, what's up with that? night of the broken glass ceiling um that said how great would that actual beauty pageant be could we please come this is how come we never get invited to the good stuff this is the first beauty pageant in which mentioning world peace is actually a disqualifier (laughs) here she comes miss Aryan pride this is this is an amazing we should judge this if you're listening um uh, scottish you know nazis um, we would are. we would love to judge. We would fly on our own dime. Yeah, on our own dime to judge. We would judge this competition, and we probably know more about the Jewish conspiracy <laughs> than you do. We know more about the so, Jewish conspiracy and more about attractive Gentile women. That's very so. True. You know, get some Jews in there to to judge your uh, fascist beauty pageant. Also, in news of the Jews this week, according to the Jewish News Service, the Legion. New York's first self-defense and counterterrorism training program for members of the Jewish community is currently training a group of cadets ages 22 to 57. This is a very weird article, by the way. First of all, the Jewish News Service isn't actually a real news service. It's some sort of weird 
right-wing site that posts stuff that makes the Jews look good. Yeah, no, only which, only only the left wing gets to have its own propaganda that's machine. That's right. I'm sorry, the, the right doesn't do get to do Do you read Jewish that. News Service? You know what? Now I do. Now you do. Jewish News Service, you've earned it yourself a It is a, a wire service, it's though. A, it's a wire service that distributes, I think, to like local federation newspapers. But here's the thing. Anyone knows As that opposed a, to the Times that real, distributes to you and your neighbor. A real Jewish News Service would not only have articles that make the Jews look good because no. even the Jews don't think that we only look good, Probably, right? Yeah. We look fine so, most of the time. So they have this article up on JNS.org about the Legion, which is um, founded by this guy named John Lowe who offers a course that's taught supposedly by ex-Marines to Jews who want to be tough and want to be able to stop terrorism. And it, according to the pictures, it looks like they're doing a lot of Krav Maga and some jujitsu and just like punching stuff. But it's jujitsu. But it's jujitsu. And um, he claims that 48 individuals were selected out of 129 applicants to join the inaugural class that began last October. I tend not to believe that he actually turned away 80 people who wanted to pay Willing him to pay $1,000. $1,000. Although he says that if you complete the course, there's a $400 tuition reimbursement, and he hopes to start branches all over the world. A couple things here. First of all, he does know, right, that actually there was a Jewish self-defense organization in New York 40 years ago. Of course, the Jewish Defense League, Meyer Kahana's group. He seems not to know that. He seems to think he's hit on this. The idea of arming Jews for self-defense is like John Lowe's secret special idea. The main difference is Meyer Kahana didn't charge them $1,000 each to learn how to defend themselves. He also didn't train them in, you know, advanced tactical combat. And he, he also didn't face a situation in which massive widespread terrorist attacks were happening literally every day. So let's make fun of that. So you, you think that these 48 guys, they're going to save us? I think, as I've these said, guys. I've said it before. And women. I will say it again. Yeah. Every man, every Jewish, every man, but every, uh, I mean, everyone, but every Jewish man, woman, and child should be armed and well But he's not arming them. He's charging them. He's overcharging well, them he's for self-defense courses. giving them the type of education that they need to feel confident to God but karate world. chops are not going to do anything against ISIS guys, guys, guys. and defend us. Adi- according to Janice, additional selling points for the program include, why not get in shape? <laughs> so this is that just is a bunch of like schlubby guys <laughs> being like, oh, I can do this. It's cheaper so than a gym. It's soul cycle. For, yeah. Yeah. It's CrossFit for angry Jews. Uh, you, you still want to defend it? You know, so there's just, no just guns. There's no guns. There's, there's just. No guns. But it's a community. It's like I'm working out. It's basically off. a gym. Yeah. It's basically it's like a gym. an off-brand gym. Now, now that I know that no firearms, I'm a little bit more. Yeah. I'm a little I don't think you're allowed it. to do that anymore. Just give people firearms. Right. But you know, if you think paying a thousand dollars to learn some karate chops will help you stop ISIS, I mean, I'm I give it to John to Lowe. Thirty-four dollars for 40, 40 minutes. 45. How long is it? for forty-five minutes on Soul, soul Cycle? Enriching minutes. So yeah, I I think that's completely. I thought you said your Task Rabbit guy to do the Soul Cycle for you. No, Soul Cycle, we take very Soul, seriously. Soul Don't you. insult our religion here. Stephanie and I are very offended. Right? Do you still Soul Cycle sister? too? Yeah. Soul Sister? I Soul Cycled with yeah. my mom yesterday. I didn't First, even know. we signed up for classes at Monday at noon, and then we went to a class. The family that Soul Cycles together stays together. Uh, finally, in news of the Jews, we bid farewell to author and Nobel Prize winner Elie Wiesel, who died at the age of 87, which means I should finally go read Night. Mm-hmm. Never read it. Is that shameful? No, we talked about this. It's fine, but you should read it. You've also never read Anne Frank. That's true. Maybe you should do a double header. Yeah. That'll be uplifting. Yeah. Any any others? Your beach beach reading this. uh, Primo Levi. I've done almost no 
I've, I've read a lot of Holocaust history. I've read almost no you are Holocaust the weirdest, literature. I'm, this is unfreaking believable. You are the professional Jew president of the synagogue. I'm not the president of the synagogue. I'm not anymore. The but no, I, I, no, no, no. I was point. membership chair. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I do not recognize the differences between these positions. Uh, who who's never read these kind of staples of? But they're they're actually like. Primo Levi is great. Like it's yeah. actually no, I'm great. Sure it's great. It's much more interesting than Holocaust history books. Like that you seem to devour those whole those nonfictiony things with facts in them. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we bid him farewell. We uh, we offer our condolences to to him and to all who were who were moved by his work and by his life. And to the fuck faces who say shit on Twitter uh, about him, uh, the the anti Israel crowd who's been coming out of the woodwork. Uh, there's a very special there's, place in hell. There's there's too much backstory for that. I, I'm I'm with you there. There's too much backstory for yeah, okay. okay. So figured it's never hurts anyone to just rant. Oh, it seems to me the sorry seems to be the hardest word. Our guest Jew today is author and illustrator Christopher Knoxon. His first novel, it's your first novel, right? It is my first His novel. His first novel my... is Plus One, which is about a non-Jewish ad guy in LA whose Jewish wife named Figgy. Where'd you get Figgy from? It's my my wife's uh, fake name when she doesn't want her name on a script. She uh... she called herself Figgy Madu. So it was her sort of pen name. So I, as a nod to to my wife. To your wife. I love the so name it, Figgy Madu. Isn't it good? It's like a Hanna Barbera on acid. <laughs> so we'll call it Figgy Madu. Figgy yeah. It's also like a misbehaving wasp. So, yeah. so his this his first novel is about a non Jewish ad guy whose wife uh, Figgy makes an Emmy award winning show called Tricks, which is about a suburban prostitution ring. Uh, in real life, your wife is Genji Cohan. Does she say? Cohen, 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 yeah. uh, who of course made Weeds and um, um, Orange is the New Black, and she, what, she, what else? Uh, she was staffed on probably every show you've right. ever heard right, right, of for right. one year before she got fired. So um, we're really thrilled to have Chris here. He's actually he, you didn't fly to New York just to do our show, but you, but you we did, could pretend you did for a the substantial next fifteen minutes. You did a substantial swing to Midtown to do to do our show, and um, I read your novel, and the novel plus one. No joke. This is my favorite novel of the last six months, and I only—I mean, it's not like I read a hundred novels every six months, but I read like ninety-nine. Yeah, and and I just thought that your portrayal—I I would say, as someone who does some house husbanding and who has a wife more educated than I am, um, and some would say more high-powered, um, it your portrayal of the vaguely whipped but kind of enjoying it, but madly in love, but also just loving and devoted guy rang entirely true except that the protagonist of this novel has way more money than i do (laughs) that's like otherwise yeah yeah yeah. otherwise it's otherwise it's me it's like it's me with a lot more zeros at the end well that's incredibly gratifying so um anyways it is an honor and i i guess i want to start there which is god do you know that monstrous feeling (laughs) where you meet your creations dr frankenstein (laughs) behold (laughs) This is your creature. So if you are a husband whose wife is, you know, is the breadwinner and the braids of the operation, uh, this is the novel for you. But so I just want to start with that. I mean, you do a lot of things. You're an illustrator. You've done a lot of journalism. You're a writer. This book, though, I feel like, you know, this is peak you. It may never Aww. get this good again. And um, <laughs> Wow. That's, so that's enjoy difficult. It. And so, <laughs> so when you were writing it, I mean, it's a little bit, it's it's a little bit harsh. Obviously, there's there's a lot of truth in it because you are married to this woman who I have a feeling has more zeros at the end of her 
you know. Many more. Googleplex um, more. The, the role of being house husband or as I, I it's understand. It's not the preferred term. Right. You, you call it domestic first responder. This yeah. That just seems more manly to me. Sounds like a superhero. You know, <laughs> it seems more masculine. It doesn't feel quite as horrible. I mean, did you have, were there, were there issues along the way? Like, were, did you have emasculated feeling moments in your parenthood like how real is that i mean 100 percent. i my wife made weeds i was a i was a, a worked for nonprofits. i was the uh, director of communications for michael milken's prostate cancer charity <laughs> um, i mean by and, the way his own personal one alone or other people's too was it research for his prostate, his prostate cancer, cancer well weirdly it was because the whole the whole charity is set up to fund research into hormone refractory late stage prostate cancer which just happens to be the kind that he has so that the whole so amazing yeah it was really really it's like Noxon, why are you helping other people <laughs> No, but other, other people benefited. Obviously, he's not the only person who had it. It's about saving the orgasmic potential of Michael Milken, basically. Yeah. But after Genji sort of hit it, I realized that the money that I was bringing in just wasn't kind of a factor in our lives. So, And we had three kids, and I decided to sort of off-ramp and spent a lot more time with my kids and running around and kind of managing our lifestyle. Um, and I found myself, and I, you know, I'm a feminist. I was raised by very strong women. I was totally happy being that guy, but I found myself getting really weird and having these kind of outbursts of aggression and like peeling out in the minivan at, you know, the carpool line. And I went to a, I went to a laser tag birthday party and, found myself mowing down like roomfuls of children, you know, quite happily. I just, I found that there was like this deep evolutionary sludge that I didn't know how to manage. As the end by the doors is playing in your mind. <laughs> You're Martin Sheen from Apocalypse Now. You're <laughs> shooting <laughs> that. <laughs> like... Yeah. I was actually thinking of the scene in Prefontaine where he's so competitive that he won't let the seven-year-old win a road race with him. And they're like, Prefontaine, but you know, he's seven. It would have been the highlight of his life. And he says, you don't get to be Prefontaine by letting anyone beat you. <laughs> you yeah. just got to take out the seven-year-old. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I intellectually believe, and I do wholeheartedly believe that obviously men are equipped to do that job. Um, but there is whatever either uh, inner biological uh, imperative or social pressure that makes it particularly weird. And I don't think men have kind of reckoned with it yet. We're still trying to figure out how to do it gracefully. So was that something you were able to sort of address or even, you know, sort of bring up with Genji? Like, was that, like, how, how long we did We continue take? to address it. <laughs> um, you know, and in the book, I, I what I decided, I, I, I wrote an essay about it and uh, about going to the Emmys with my wife when she won in 1999 for Tracy Takes On, the HBO show. And while I was on the carpet, my uh, my shoes fell apart. I That's in the they, book. That's in the book. In so, the book. How, so how exactly, though? Can you describe it for our listeners? In real life, we were in the in the car on the way there, and I had my legs crossed, and the, the, the soles of both shoes started peeling off from the rest of the it's shoe. It's because your legs were crossed that unmanned your shoes. Exactly. If you'd been manspreading, the, the shoes would have been fine. Yeah. It turns out that my wife had bought them at the county morgue thrift shop because she loves a bargain uh -huh. and they were never meant to hold the weight of a living man <laughs> oh so um, new sh shoes you bought for the event yes she okay. bought them for me okay. uh and then on the carpet she ran off in her gown found a gaffer got some electrical tape and taped them up and we were good to go so when i started to write the that as an essay and i realized that um it was sort of unsatisfying that uh so when i wrote a fictional version i changed it a, a lot of things and i realized that this was better as a fictional version where i could sort of go to the 
farthest reaches of this guy's insecurity and his anxiety and invent a lot of feelings that I don't actually have. So in the novel, there's this sort of community of like freeloading slash house husbanding husbands whose wives make, you know, make real bank while they do things like, you know, get their pubes waxed. And I mean, you yeah. end up with that or the protagonist ends up with that bro friend who's like, right. dude, you're a plus one. Learn to live with it. Like, yeah. ease your way. is there that community in Hollywood? There, like, there are guys. The dad scene? Yeah, and- the plus ones. The guys <laughs> whose wives are way more uh, accomplished than they are. One of my closest friends in L.A. is married to Jill Soloway, the uh, creator of Transparent, and he's a music supervisor. And so that, that marriage is complicated right very, now. Very, well, yeah. It's, it's no longer, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are, there are dudes out there and some of them are, are totally at peace with it and are just like this is the the greatest situation ever and uh there are others who are way more conflicted almost uh, the the record of those marriages surviving is discouragingly low it's very hard for those marriages to continue so you know it's a challenge how's yours doing it's great it's great thanks you're you're the guy it's her birthday today uh, so ma- mazel tov. Mazel Thank you. Tov, yeah. I have to say, though, your wife actually like is really culturally huge. You know, she's so important. I say that personally t- as well. But like, so you actually, you know, you're not doing God's work, but like you're doing something very good by being a part of, by, by being like adjacent to that. Well, I'm a fan. Like, I love her stuff. And I think I would love it even if I wasn't married to her. So beyond the fact that I want her to succeed as my wife, I just want her to succeed because I think the work she's doing is great. Um, and I, you know, I, the, the, the woman in the, in the book is not my wife at a certain point, she took on her own character and sort of went way, way beyond. And I I sort of signal it in the book. There's a point at which it goes so far beyond our experience. Um, so I have to keep explaining to people, you know, there's two questions that people ask about the book. Mostly one is how much is true. They all want to know, like, are the shoes true? Is this true? Is that guy true? And the second is, does your wife hate you? Because it is pretty intense. Like, he, he acts like quite an asshole. And uh, she's can be a little demanding. So, okay, do you binge watch Orange is the New Black? Have you already seen it? Because you've seen it throughout the process. Like, what's, like, you're very close to the source. So I want to know, like, what's proper etiquette? We talk about scripts, so I just sort of know what's going on. But um, I, this year, I didn't see any episodes until they were all done. I saw them before they, they aired. Sometimes I'll see cuts. Um, I'm not as involved. I was the music supervisor on Weed, so I was there all the time. This one, she's and she, she shoots in New York. We live in L.A. We just bought a place here, but we're back and forth a lot. So uh, most of it happens without. So, any. do you get the email from Netflix being like, "There's a show on shows a new season of a show you might like"? Sure. <laughs> do you get yeah. that? That orange black. <laughs> so their algorithm is correct. Is yes. what you're saying? Yes. Stephanie, that's like asking, "Do you get the tablet newsletter?" <laughs> And yeah, you, you do. But no, but they send sometimes they send it and it's like not exactly what you're interested in. But it's like watch one comedy special. Uh, we should, and we you're should getting... not be talking about Christopher Shaw anymore. I okay. mean, I, I think this is we are here to celebrate you. This novel is amazing. Oh, yeah. You, by the way, let's let's just let's just do this. Like she could have never written this novel, right? This novel is purely it. Did you even totally. let her read it? Or were you like, no, just wait, everybody else? No, I. she was really busy, so she didn't have a lot of time to sort <laughs> like of weigh season in. Season one of the novel drops, you um, know. But it's interesting because I started writing it before Orange hit. And I invented this character who was way more uh, successful and accomplished than my wife. And then Orange happened, and she got way more <laughs> successful and accomplished than the woman in the book. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, I gave her the book before I sent it to anyone, and I said, anything in here that feels too close or too private, just mark it, and we'll take it out. Like, no no debate, no Hold on. Really? discussion. I did. Seriously? Yeah. Did she? I did. Did she mark anything? No. She said, go with God. And well, it's you- fiction. Because it's not her. Exactly. It, it's fiction. Exactly. Hold on. No, no. I'm I'm really sorry. I'm 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 married to to a writer and an editor. And if she fucked up with my book, if she's like, no, this feels too out of I have to take it out, I was like, no. It's great fiction. I'm not gonna destroy fiction Does for she the ever sake edit of someone's you? feelings. Well, yeah, but you wouldn't have had. <laughs> I had those. I had this. those debates in my head with therapists, with friends, uh, you know, trying to figure out what my line was. And in the end, I sort of came down with my marriage is way more important than this book, and I did not want to, you know, in, I didn't want to ruin it for the sake of a middle brow comic novel. But how are you? Hold on. How are you so funny and yet such a remarkably well balanced individual? Yeah, that's or the most. You, or you that's not? the most softball. Usually, I'm asking the softball questions. So I was like, hold on a second. When no, you no. when you beat your grandmother, you, uh-huh. you know, because when you turn on, make you feel when you turn on Zionism and sell out your fellow Jews, and now in your presence, he's like, how is it you're so yeah. good looking because and I your teeth are so white? Because I don't believe it. Because I just, you know, he comes off as so. No, you know, but just, okay. So, so the the reality is, we continue. I'm we, we do continue to battle over whether this was a novel or not. As we got closer to when the book came out, she started to totally flip out and get really uh, nervous and upset. And we ended up back in couples therapy and talked it all through. About, about think, the book. About the book. About people being like, about, oh my her God. Her feeling was think. that people would assume it's all true, even yeah, though did. it says novel, I right? Did. Right. No, no, I so um, your sister also is... yeah. A TV writer, right? She was on Mad Men. She came up on Buffy, and then she created uh, uh, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, and then uh, she was a co-creator of Unreal. It's insane, man. Yeah. So w- what is it about woman TV writers and you that you're surrounded by them? Is that— I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just love smart, weird, twitchy ladies. <laughs> and And— <laughs> Do you write for TV at all? No, I wrote a, a pilot uh, based on Plus One for ABC, but it did not go. That's ins- it is insane to me the stuff that doesn't get picked up. I, mean, I don't know. I'm assuming your pilot was pretty good. It was pretty good. When you think of the crap that is on every fall network schedule, and then apparently you think of the I was good in the, ideas. I was in the last pile, and Johnny Knoxville beat me. So Johnny Knoxville's pilot about his hillbilly family was the one that went instead of mine. So we we have I'm two things. Stuff. We have two things to get to. So one question is you you tantalized us by saying should I tell the the Mel Gibson story? We didn't know what the Mel Gibson story was. What's the we Mel still Gibson don't. story? Okay, and so- I'll I'll pair that with saying we have to hear about your evolution in your Judaism, which is to say you weren't one and now you are. Correct. So let, let's. It was probably 15 years ago, maybe more. I w- wrote a story for the New York Times Magazine about Mel Gibson's crazy father. I found out about his crazy dad. I went to the church that he was his building near like Malibu. Huntington? Hutton, Hutton, Hutton Gibson. Yeah, he's bad. He's bad. He makes Mel Gibson look yeah. like a friend um, of the Jews. But at the yeah. time, he was not known. He was writing for kind of crazy right wing uh, traditionalist Catholic uh, publications, and he thought of himself as this kind of grand commentator. And so when I called him up and said I'd like to meet you, he said, "Come on down to Houston." I went and spent the weekend with him. He told on tape he talked about you know the CIA plot and the the Jewish conspiracy. And I had gone to Catholic school, so I could sort of pass. And I think he thought I was, uh, you know, friendly. Um, So I wrote the piece and tried to get uh, Mel to talk to me. It was a four or five month period where we were reporting and he did not talk to me. And then when the piece came out, uh, he went on Bill O'Reilly to call me a slimy hitman for the left and melted, melted, melted. And then, you know, the, the, the furor sort of 
uh, <laughs> so to speak. Yes. Um, but what was crazy is because I was not I was not Jewish. I was married to a Jew. I had three Jewish kids, but I was passing as kind of a Catholic. And then, you know, 18 years after marrying my wife last August, uh, I finally converted. It had nothing to do with Mel Gibson. Uh, it was partially because I just felt like I had been doing Jewish for so long. I had been, you know, going to services. We do Shabbat. I felt like I had found my people, if not God, and I was ready. Um, but what I wasn't ready for was the ritual bloodletting. Uh, the I don't know how many of your listeners know that even even circumcised people, not that you asked, I am. <laughs> uh, there is something called a haftat dambrit, where they they take a uh, few drops of blood from the site of the circumcision. Uh, while doing blessings. And you, th- I shopped around, like the Reconstructionists want it, the Reform want it, the Groovy people want it, the, they all want your blood. Uh, and I, when I found that out, I think 10 years ago, I thought any club that makes that <laughs> part of their membership, I'm not going to be part of. But I finally decided to just go for it because I, I figured, you know, I live in LA. I've had my junk handled by plenty of Jewish doctors. <laughs> This is not going to be that big a deal. <laughs> no, is, is this a public ceremony? No, it's you. It's not like, like a. It's not like a Brit. Come a Brit? Shabbat morning. It's like well, a Brit. You go to a, a moil. They're bagels. Are there I bagels? Went to a moil. There's no bagels. There's no locks. That's insane. It's totally okay, insane. Wait, 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 wait. So we're not there yet. So how how do you pick which who's going to do the the ritual bloodletting? I mean, in the circles I travel in, it's it. There's a guy named Doctor Andy. He's not on Yelp. <laughs> He does it as a community service out of his house in Calabasas, like the Deep Valley. And he does it after he puts his kids to sleep. He's a super nice guy, but I had to go to this guy's house. Right, hold on, hold on. Like Set the so you're, you're now driving your car into the valley. You're with getting, my wife. I brought her with me. With, you're with heading your east on, to, is it the 10? West yeah. on the 101. Okay. Sorry. Calabasas. The valley. This is now you, you 8.30. the Kardashians' house. Yeah. Right. 8.30 yeah, or, or 9 p.m. 9.30 p.m. It's 9.30 p.m. You pull out. It was like a drug deal. It felt so illicit. Yeah. He pauses First Orange all, is the New Black on the TiVo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, He's honey. season three still. <laughs> Let's go get my prick pricked. Yep. Uh, yeah, and he answers the door. And then we walked down the hall and like we passed his laundry room where I heard his like sneakers going. <laughs> I was like, this is not. They go into his home office and he and Genji chatted about like they start. We're talking about circumcision and the Ugandan tribe who were all mass circumcised. He was part of that. Uh, and then, you know, he does his work. He says a blessing like bore pre happiness, and he gets <laughs> you're fine. Is that I? I, I what does he use? What is, no, no, please. It's a, it's a little. It's a little plastic lancet, like they use for you know diabetics to take, and it's a little. It's a snap. Um, but if you said to be graphic, there's not a lot of blood in that zone, so there's a, there was a lot of poking. And to find, of, to, to like find to, a to vein, to bring it yeah, out, to bring yeah. it, and that was how closely is your wife watching this? She was there. I mean, no, but she, she like really there. Is she in in it? Is she? Like... I didn't. I didn't have a lot of eyesight at that moment. I was so I couldn't hear voices in the room. I was, like, <laughs> ah! uh, yeah. Is there aftercare involved? There's Chinese food. Okay, that sounds Which about right. Felt... There is no worse phrase than ritual bloodletting, though. No. Like, that sounds medieval I mean, and awful. Depends on which, way of, yeah. which side of the bloodletting you are. It's basically a jumping-in ritual, right? It's like, it's like what fraternities it's, it's or a, street gangs do. They brand you. And was this, was this before or after the, 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 the baked in where they did the conversion? It was two days before. Two days before. And then, and then there's that, and then there's the mikvah. And then there's so the mikvah. The, the three parts. So mazel tov, man. That's Thank great. You. How's it been so far? It's been great. Have, it's been, I mean, it's been really, 
intensely beautiful, I have to say. That's great. Um, so what's the next project? What's uh... I'm working on a graphic memoir about conversion called Prick. Wow. Yeah, because I, I, I illustrated this book. Um, there's little uh, chapter yep. drawings. And I found myself, I carry around a little notebook, and I was drawing more than I was writing. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to do both. Um, so something like Myra Kalman or Wendy McNaughton, these are people I'm just, you know, enraptured by right now. So I want to do a picture word book. And now that you're a veteran, Drew, you should definitely try another pilot because, you know, Hollywood, we control yeah. it. So Controlled. Can, yeah, they were yeah. just waiting for the, the certificate from the guy's house. I, I that think yeah. that's what happened went. there. They're like, we don't know about Knox. Like, he's, still he's, too, he's, he's still too new. Well, Genji wrote 14 pilots before one got made. So I kind of figured, you know, this is my first little toe dip. <laughs> we owe it to you. After what you've done for us, we owe you a pilot being picked up. <laughs> the very least we could do. Um, so thanks for coming on. Will you come back when Prick... I would, I would or, be or, thrilled to. Next time you're in New York. All right, uh, Chris Knoxon, the novel is plus one. I really, truly promise you a good time if you read this novel. Thank you for coming on Unorthodox. Our guest Gentile this week is rock critic and podcaster Jim DeRogatis with Greg Cott. Uh, he hosts or co-hosts Sound Opinions, a rock and roll talk show broadcast from WBEZ in Chicago. I will go on the record right now and confess that I only listen to about four or five podcasts, and this is one of them. Sound Opinions is one of them, and it's the one that I've heard the most episodes of, and that includes our own podcast. Like I've listened to more Sound Opinions than anything else on my iPhone or my iPod or my iPod Shuffle this is going back. To I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But I also want to say that um, Jim has written, I think it's nine books, including the one that I've read, which is Let It Blurt, his biography of Lester Banks. He's also written about the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Velvet Underground, and more. Uh, he blogs about pop music and other pop culture stuff for WBEZ. And he is our Gentile of the Week. Jim DeRogatis, welcome. Thank you very much. I never win anything, so I feel flattered. You know, on a Jewish show, winning Gentile of the Week is actually um, not that hard because uh, there are a lot of you guys. There are a lot of you. There. There's way more of you than there are of us. So, well, Robin Lynn was of of the tribes. That's for sure, and she was with us for ten and a half years. She recently moved on to some I had some little show. I'm I'm not really familiar with it. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Ugh, see, <laughs> please. She peaked, man. I mean, what is she? Your your show is way more fun than Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yeah, well, you know, Peter Sagal. I mean, it's not like he's funny or anything. He's also Jewish. <laughs> but you know who was our, our Gentile of the Week last week was Mo Rocca, frequent Wait, Wait guest. Oh, there you go. Who was the last Gentile. You were following in his footsteps as Gentile of the Week. He must be the only Gentile ever whose name Mo. You know, we didn't ask him about yeah. that. Do you, he's half, I think it's like Maurice or something. Yeah. He's half Colombian, half Italian-American. Yeah, and I think it's M.O., yeah, so, M-O. Yeah. I think there's no M-O-E no. who's not uh, you are, Jewish. Jim, you're good. You're absolutely, look at your Judar. You're right. M-O-E would absolutely, like, like uh, Three Stooges Mo is Jewish, but Mo Rocca Mo could possibly not be. Well, you have, so you have to realize I grew up in Jersey City and Hoboken just across the river from Manhattan. I went to New York University. And uh, so, you know, and I mean, there's so little difference between Italians and Jews to begin with, but especially in New York and especially at NY. They, they called it when I was there uh, NY Jew. I think they still do. Well, I think you they know, still do. I, you know, I, I don't think offensively. I, you know, I think it's meant now to it's on like their admissions booklets. Well, and yeah, the, you know, and I've been to Manny's, you know, many times. So <laughs> I'm, you know, almost. You're, you're barely a Gentile of the week. Um, I'm honorarily uh, Jewish, I believe, and my wife is is partly Jewish. Her grandmother was Jewish. Oh, well, all right then. Jewish and Mexican. All right. <laughs> There's six reasons to build a wall there. I tell you. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, you know, tell us a little about how you, we have a lot of softball questions for you. There's so much love in this room. We're not going to hit you with anything this, hard. It's basically oh, why? Just, well, you know why you can ask. Our anything. first I'm, question is how, how are you so great? How did you become so great? How did you become so great? <laughs> how are you so great right now? <laughs> These guys are like mooning. Their eyes are like mooning right we're, now. We're going to oh, say, geez, gentlemen, gentlemen. It's I, actually you know, embarrassing. No, listen, if, if, if you've ever written a book about, about rock music and, and I have once cause I, I'm dumb. Uh, and couldn't think of anything better to do than undertake this great, big, difficult task of writing well about popular music. If you've ever tried to do this after you've read Jim DeRogatis, forget about it. It's just oh. not going to be as good. Well, I, you know, I, look, when I was uh, a senior in high school, Hudson Catholic Regional School for Boys, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I had a journalism class, and uh, all the smart kids took masterpieces of Western literature, and the football team took journalism because it was, you know, simple words and short sentences. And I was driving my journalism teacher. I took both. I took masterpieces of Western literature and journalism. I was driving my journalism teacher crazy with all these questions. You know, what is the new journalism, Tom Wolfe and Joan Didion? And what is uh, the difference between criticism and journalism? And what is investigative reporting in the wake of Silkwood and Woodward and Bernstein? And, uh, you know, he said, look, you're a pain in my butt. Uh, stop coming to class. Go interview a hero in your chosen field. Write it up. And you've got an A. Just don't annoy me anymore. And so I spent a day with Lester Bangs, and it was an incredible formative day. I write about it and let it blur years, you know, years later I'd write his biography. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he said to me, you know, I've always been a fanatical fan with fanatical opinions to inflict on people. And I just think that, that being a fan and proselytizing about what you love and also, you know, attacking what you dislike in popular culture is one of the most noble things in the world. We, you know, we're in this age of information overload. Uh, everybody's got an opinion. You know what they say about that. And, um, you know, but, but, but we don't have enough smart analysis of popular culture, you know, whether it's music or literature or art, you know, in any form. And, you know, people are just getting stupider. Witness Donald Trump, you know, and uh, I, I look, you know, what else is there to argue about? Politics, sex, religion, you know, all those things are in the music, you know, and so we're really talking to each other when we talk about music. There are like about 700 questions just from this one little beautiful story that, that I have, but the first is this. So, Liel's, nipple, you are, Liel's nipples meeting, are hard right now. I just want to tell you, like, Liel I, is. I'm, I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> uh, so, here you are, you're meeting Lester Banks, which for those uneducated listeners out there who've chosen to do other things in their lives, like, you know, read books or go to movies or meaningless shit like that, uh, is the great, 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 great rock journalist. Uh, Though of, sometimes unreadable. Well, you know. I mean, great, but also sometimes stream of consciousness unreadable. On on the wrong substances, maybe. So does this kind of – I know this is kind of like a bullshit, you know, made-for-TV moment, but does this kind of cement your your conviction that you're going to do this? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I was this clueless, fat kid from Jersey City, and he kept asking me, what are you listening to, and who do you read, and what are you excited about? And I'm like – I thought, I thought, you're, you're Lester Bangs. What are you asking me anything for? And, you know, he, he signed my book, Now It's Your Turn. I had a copy of the one book that was published in his lifetime. It was a quickie fan bio of Blondie. And I bought it on the remainder table for 99 cents at Barnes & Noble on 23rd Street when there was only one Barnes & Noble. And, you know, his face just dropped when he saw that sticker. And I had no clue what that meant. I just thought I got a deal um, you know, but yeah, I mean, he was like that. 
you know, I mean, years later, Cameron Crowe would, would use my interview tapes, and Philip Seymour Hoffman would, would listen to them when he played Lester Bangs in Almost Famous and to get the speech. And, you know, uh, he was very kind and encouraging and mentoring to uh, people who wanted to do what he did. And Cameron Crowe had that experience in 1972. I had that experience in 1982. The difference was two weeks later, Lester was dead, and it had this huge impact on me. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to do what he did. And unlike many people in life who are uh, threatened by people who want to do what you're doing, he was hugely incredible. I mean, one of my life lessons has been that the most talented people I've ever met in any field are the most encouraging to others. And it's the mediocre talents, you know, the David Fricks of the world at Rolling Stone, <laughs> that uh, I'd name names. Um, I don't know if he's Jewish, but I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Jan Wenner is Jewish, and oh my God, is he one of the worst people I've ever met in my life. But He's Jewish? Uh, Jan Wenner of Rolling Stone. Yeah. I don't think he is. Experience. I think he is. I don't think... Oh, maybe he's not. Yeah, if he is, we're trading him away. We don't... We don't yeah, we no, don't, don't claim him, pathetic. you know. So does that go for artists as well? Yeah, artists too. You know, I, I think that's absolutely true. In any field, the most talented people are the most encouraging to others. And, and you know, that's... And I, so, I, you know, I, I have this karmic debt. So, you know, high school kids write me in college classes, ask me to talk, and you know, Jewish podcasts right, that I, you know, don't quite understand, not being Jewish, um, you know, uh, you know, asked me to come and talk. And, and I mean, I'm always happy to do that because he took this day, you know, at an important point in my life and did it for me. And I think you pay it forward. It's the punk rock concept. You know, somebody's touring in a van, they come to your town, you let them sleep on your floor. And then someday they, you know, so, so it's all self-serving, you see. Someday, uh, all these kids that I've talked to and tried to encourage, like Lester did to me, they're going to be running, you know, radio station or the Rolling Stone of yeah. its day, and maybe they'll take pity on me as an old man and let me have a column. Tim, let me let me ask you this question though. So you've you've hit, I think, on something interesting. We live in this age in which is this, like proliferation of opinions and opinionating, uh, and it seems like everyone's you know in 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 this business. But at the same time, this really very little actual criticism by which I really mean to say the type, the only type of criticism I personally hold valuable, which is the kind that Lester practiced and, and that you practice a sort of, I think you described it beautifully, a sort of fanatic, you know, passionate writing that, that is really, that is really soulful and really meaningful and really, you know, believes that the shit matters. How do you explain this discrepancy? Well, you know, I think people don't like to think, and we see that in so many ways. You know, I, I teach at Columbia College, Chicago, and I teach reviewing the arts. And, you know, to me, uh, the difference between criticism and opinion, I think to anybody who, who knows criticism, is, you know, opinion is just, you know, the pizza in this place sucks, right? And criticism is, you know, the pizza in this place is not the best because, it, you know, the crust is weak and the sauce is too sweet and it's soggy. And You know, you, you, you have to offer, you have three tools. You have evidence, insight. Uh, you know, evidence is you back up your opinion, and insight is what do you bring unique to the party. And, uh, uh, you know, you have to, 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 to dig deep and to really uh, explain what what you know, the reason for your personal opinion. And I think that we should never turn to criticism to inform, you know, to, to confirm our groovy opinions that everything, you know, whatever is cool. You know, it's okay to be challenged. I, I love Jack Kerouac. I, I'm a fan of, 
of On the Road and all of his books. You know, and some of the best reviews I've ever read have been uh, critical, uh, not liking Kerouac. And the point of criticism is not to change somebody's opinion. It's to say how you view the world, you know, that insight that only you can have. All of us can tromp over to uh, the Museum of Modern Art and stand in front of some great painting, and we're all going to see it slightly differently. If we're here in Chicago, we'll stand in front of Nighthawks, right? And, and one of you may see it as, you know, this, this comment on feminism. There's only one woman, and all three male gazes are fixed upon her. And someone else will see it as a, as a com- comment on, on classism, right? You know, uh, none of these people are eating. They can only afford a cup of coffee, right? And somebody else may see it as, as sociologically as a comment on on loneliness. Here you are surrounded by people in the midst of a giant city, but no one that you can connect to, right? We're all going to see that painting differently, and it's the conversation that the four of us are going to have that completes the art. You know, an artist sits in her garret and creates something, and it isn't until someone uh, receives it that that art is complete, right? Um, you know, the ultimate receptor of art is the critic, someone who's going to think deeply. Even if they dislike it, you know, they're going to have spent a lot of time formulating their, uh, you know, critique of it. And, and that is worth hearing. So I'm going to ask you for, to, to play the, the advice game here for a minute. Uh, I'm a 41-year-old guy. I used to be a very, very huge music fan. Then, you know, parenthood catches up with you. You spend way too much time listening to the Wobblies and the Wiggles and the Fliggles yeah, and the, yeah. all that stuff. And, you know, the, 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 the notion that some people have that you should buy, you know, Radiohead sings lullabies to your kids. That, like, kids don't want to hear Radiohead sing lullabies. I mean, oh, it's just, no, no. It, it's no. a bad genre, right? And yeah. I used to find a lot of my music by going into a record store. We had a great record store in New Haven. We had Cutler's and you would just bump into people who were listening to stuff that you kind of liked and you'd say, what else are you listening to? Or you'd see what they were listening to on the headphones. And that would kind of be the thing to do. And the record store is gone. And, you know, some of the magazines I read, the reviews of, the reviews are all like one paragraph long now and and mediocre. Other than your podcast, which is where I get a lot of my music suggestions, what does a guy like me do to find new music? You know, yeah, you're right. It's this this contradiction. We're, we're awash in more opinions than at any time in the history of humanity, thanks to this tool, the Internet. You know, but it's a double-edged sword. Um, you, you bookmark the places that you find reliable. You know, one of the great things that the Internet has given us is that some kid sitting in her basement you know, writing passionately with a unique viewpoint, using those tools. The third tool I forgot to mention was context. Where does this fit? You know, uh, the new Fergie single comes to us in a universe that also includes Taco Cat and the coat hangers, right? You, you, can't, you have to have a broad interest, a, a depth of, of interest in everything to be a good critic. But you use those tools, contact evidence and insight, and you say something that hasn't been said in a voice that is uniquely your own. And now that girl in her basement with her computer has the same power that John Perella is the head rock critic at the New York Times has to reach people. That's a very good thing. It's hard to make a living doing this. You're podcasters. You know. <laughs> we sure <laughs> do. a labor of love. But, you know, people who really want to be an artist, people who want to be a musician, have to just as soon imagine not breathing or not eating as not making music. And I think that criticism is the same way. Anyway, how you find these things, you go out there, you find the podcasts, you find the blogs, you find the Tumblers and the Twitter accounts and whatever, and you bookmark them, and you have to create that own ideal magazine of your own. Um, you can still create community on the net. 
Um, and that's great, you know, but, but you have to challenge yourself. You have to also read writers you, you disagree with, you know, and not just, again, go out there to confirm your opinion, because that's how this stup- stupidity proliferates, you know, people only uh, listening to stuff that gives them a narrow viewpoint, you know, I mean, I, these people who get all their news from Fox News, oh my God, you know, I watch Fox News, I'm slightly to the left of Noam Chomsky, but I watch it just to see what the other side is thinking, you know, so... Uh, all right. So final question. Give us a few a few Desert Island Disc type recommendations, but they could be websites. They could be magazines. They could be things. They could be bands like give us a few just recommendations. Oh, to follow pop music. No, just anything. Anything. In oh, your life. anything. It well, could be your favorite burger at the corner. Just give us some recommendations. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, you know, I Make love us better people. Uh, the online blog Consequence of Sound. I think there's a lot of passion there. I think it's much better than Pitchfork. I, you know, I, you know. Uh, I've been really enjoying a lot of TV lately. You know, we're in this golden age of television where, you know, we're getting novels instead of the traditional short story. And so, especially a lot of this British TV, you know, uh, you know, something like The Tunnel or, or uh, The Fall, I mean, great series like that. I, you know, musically, I mean, the, the stuff I'm excited about, I give you every week on Sound Opinion. I mean, we have the best band in the world on Sound Opinions next week. Savages uh, came on for a second interview, a second live performance. We had them on their first album. You know, those four women are just extraordinary. I have not seen a band that powerful live, that important, uh, since, since Nirvana. Wow. You know, uh, and I don't say that lightly. Um, you know, there, there is so much great art coming at us in every direction at all times. So much great writing, music, uh, you know, television, as I said, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, this is wonderful. You know, the internets have opened this floodgate, but I think what the internets, uh, I think what's great. So in your age there, uh, you know, man. what we still need though, with so much, right. You're almost overwhelmed. You're sitting there. You're like, what should I consume tonight? I need some cultural edification. And the choices are so overwhelming. You're just like, I'm just going to flip and watch tiny houses. That's pretty much what channel. happens. You know, but so so you have to, more than ever. Uh, you know, I think the hip word now is is curator. You know, but that's critic. It, you, you, more than ever, we need critics. Whether that's a trusted friend, whether that's someone we're reading, whether that's a podcast, to tell us this is of worth. You need to see this. Jim DeRogatis, you are one funky Catholic. Thank you so much for being our Gentile of the Week. Listen, we will see you on our iPhones. Actually, I'll see you in my car. And uh, keep up the good work at Sound Opinions, all right? Yeah, anytime. You know, anytime you want to know what the non-Jews are thinking, I'm happy to chat. <laughs> we will call you. <laughs> we will take you up on that. Thank Seriously. you, thank you, thank you. Hey, guys, uh, very quickly again, go to tabletmag.com slash donate. We really, really are grateful for all of your gifts. Uh, from the mailbox, one reason that we need mail from you, our beloved listeners, is to crowd out the absurd mail we get from other people. I just wanted to read a little bit of this press release that ended up in our inbox. Um, it's about how Michael Jackson was murdered by the Jews. I just, did you guys see this? Did you look Shit, in the inbox? Shit, they found out about they, that? Sh- so Man, see. I was trying to be so professional. So the book is called The Jews Behind Michael Jackson's Life and Death. It's by Brother Nathaniel Kepner. That is an amazing title, by the way. The Jews Behind Michael Jackson's Life and Death. Okay, so here, I'm just going to read the first few paragraphs of the press release. In promoting a role model who expressed the confused sexual values of the alternative lifestyle culture, rather than that of traditional sexual mores, the slew of Jews behind Michael Jackson's career could be said to have advanced the plan of corrupting today's youth as laid out by the renowned protocols of the elders of Zion. From his record label moguls to his business manager, from his lawyers to his personal confidants, and even to his dermatologist, 
Michael Michael Jackson chose to surround himself with a crowd of money-hungry Jews who viewed Michael not as a human being, but as a piece of merchandise to be used for financial gain. For if a role model who presented himself as an androgynous boy-girl symbol could generate millions of dollars, then Michael Jackson's Jewish handlers would not scruple to forego warning him of his artistic persona's destructive path, which led to his ignoble death on June 25th, 2009, by a drug overdose. Drug overdose. You know, how did they find out? About his dermatologist, especially. That, when we sent a Jewish dermatologist in, that was the masterstroke. I mean, right? yeah. it's, it's one thing to control his finances. The rest we were not hiding. But his we were, face. Right, but, but, but the mole on his back? Dr. Kaplan... You've been discovered, man. You've been discovered. All right. Some Mazel Tovs of the Week, Stephanie? Oh, I have a Mazel Tov to the Golden State Warriors for getting Kevin Durant. I think this assembles everything needed for the second coming to arrive. Inshallah. Liel? Mine is to my friend Stacey Berman, uh, who runs the amazing Stacey's Boot Camp, uh, which got me in shape and once upon a time uh, and will probably get me in shape again. Uh, and it's just a great way uh, for getting ready for summer and she's a fan of the show go Stacy. go Stacy. my mazel tovs is to a bunch of people who sent us either financial or moral love and support um, this week people like Myra Feiger Rick Goldstein Sarah Schneider Diana Muchnik her son the rabbinic student uh, Allison Ficus Sharon Graham Morica Thomas Duo Dickinson and Jeffrey Grossman I want to point out that in the beginning of our fun drive my brother has donated has your sister Stephanie no, but she was away this weekend, so, so but she always, will. I mean, Franny, there's up, always time. Up your game here. <laughs> if you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Be warned, we might read it on the air, especially if it's a conspiracy theory about Prince's death. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited by Lee Faulkner and produced by Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week is by the kittens Shimon Perez and Golda Meow. Kosher slaughtering is by who's it by Stephanie? Jesse Cohen. Jesse Cohen. And how do you feel about those cat puns? The Shimon Perez. Ed. I mean that I saw a picture of those cats. They are freaking cute. But I mean, as the owner of Cat Stevens, do you feel like the cat punning thunder has been thundercatted? Thunder. Thunder. Um, no, I'm, I support it wholeheartedly. Thundercatted away <laughs> from you. The more the the more cat punning, the, the more better. the furrier. Uh, our website is. Now you just feel left out, Mark. So left out. I can't pun. I don't have the punning gene. Our website is tabletmag.com. We're on oh, Facebook. Oh, meow, God. And we're on Twitter at Tabletmag. Our music is by Golem. Shalom, friends.